Hello and welcome to another episode of Dr. J's American Passages. I'm Dr. J. Today's episode features a passage from W.E.B. Du Bois's The Souls of Black Folk, published in 1903. Those of you familiar with Du Bois might guess that I'll focus on the passage in which Du Bois first presents the concept of double consciousness, which has become a mainstay of American black studies. One ever feels his two-ness, Du Bois wrote, an American, a Negro, two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled strivings, two warring ideals in one dark body, whose dogged strength alone keeps it from being torn asunder, end quote. When I read and think about these words, I can easily recognize their truth, but to feel their truth is another thing. I, a boy of the upper Great Lakes, with Scots-Irish forebearers, am practically a second Huck Finn, as American as American can be. I can only strive to understand and sympathize, as Huck had to do on the raft with Jim, with transformational, but still only partial success. I've chosen, though, another passage for today's episode, a passage in which Du Bois writes of his worries for the future, not just of black Americans, but of America as a whole and only partly in regard to what Du Bois called the problem of the 20th century, the problem of the color line. Specifically, Du Bois worries about what will happen if black America follows the rest of America in ranking the pursuit of gold, that is, money and material goods, above the pursuit of character and value to society. Now, 120 years later, I think we can look at the answer to his question. But first, some background. W.E.B. Du Bois was born in Great Barrington, Massachusetts in 1868. He was raised by his mother and maternal grandmother, and though his family was poor, he remembered feeling little race prejudice growing up. He did well in school and gave the graduation address at his high school commencement. Though he aspired to attending Harvard, he instead enrolled at Fisk University, a historically black university in Nashville, Tennessee, with financial help from his church. After receiving a bachelor's degree at Fisk, he went on to earn a second bachelor's degree at Harvard. After studying in Europe for two years, Du Bois returned to Harvard and completed his doctoral thesis, The Suppression of the African Slave Trade in America, 1638 to 1870, and became the first black American to earn a Harvard Ph.D. in 1895. He became a professor of history and economics at Atlanta University also a historically black university, and published The Philadelphia Negro, a sociological study, in 1899. Atlanta, at the turn of the 20th century, 
was the center of what was called the New South, an effort to move the South away from its agrarian slave-based past into an industrial future that could compete with the North. Du Bois had mixed feelings both about this project as a whole and as it pertained to the black population. The Atlanta Compromise, first proposed by Booker T. Washington in 1895, accepted a subservient role for black Americans in exchange for vocational education and opportunities for jobs. Du Bois felt that this compromise put a ceiling on black achievement in leadership. In the chapter in The Souls of Black Folk entitled On the Wings of Atalanta, from which today's passage comes, Du Bois uses the story of Atalanta from Greek mythology to express his concern not just for black Americans, but for America. In the story of Atalanta, the beautiful, tall, dark Atalanta declares she will marry no man unless he could beat her in a race, which no suitor could until Hippomenes challenged her. Before the race, Hippomenes lays three golden apples at intervals along the course, and when Atalanta stops to pick them up, he is able to run past her and thus beat her. Du Bois acknowledges that the city of Atlanta wasn't named for the Atalanta of this story, but nevertheless uses it to present his thoughts first on industrialization and then on the destructiveness of a society focused only on earning money, only on materialism, even for those in need of money. Let's listen. From The Souls of Black Folk by W.E.B. Du Bois Atlanta must not lead the South to dream of material prosperity as the touchstone of all success. Already the fatal might of this idea is beginning to spread. It is replacing the finer type of Southerner with vulgar money-getters, it is burying the sweeter beauties of Southern life beneath pretense and ostentation. For every social ill, the panacea of wealth has been urged. Wealth to overthrow the remains of the slave feudalism. Wealth to raise the cracker third estate. Wealth to employ the black serfs and the prospect of wealth to keep them working. Wealth as the end and aim of politics, and as the legal tender for law and order. And finally, instead of truth, beauty, and goodness, wealth as the ideal of the public school. Not only is this true in the world which Atlanta typifies, but it is threatening to be true of a world beneath and beyond that world, the black world beyond the veil. Today, it makes little difference to Atlanta, to the South, what the Negro thinks or dreams or wills. In the sole life of the land, he is today, and naturally will long remain, unthought of, half-forgotten. And yet, when he does come to think and will and do for himself, and let no man dream that day will never come,
Then the part he plays will not be one of sudden learning, but words and thoughts he has been taught to lisp in his race childhood. Today the ferment of his striving toward self-realization is to the striving of the white world like a wheel within a wheel. Beyond the veil are smaller but like problems of ideals, of leaders and the lead, of serfdom, of poverty, of order and subordination, and through all the veil of race. Few know of these problems. Few who know notice them. And yet there they are, awaiting student, artist, and seer, a field for somebody sometime to discover. Hither has the temptation of Hippomenes penetrated. Already in this smaller world, which now indirectly and anon directly must influence the larger for good or ill, the habit is forming of interpreting the world in dollars. The old leaders of Negro opinion and the little groups where there is a Negro social consciousness are being replaced by new. Neither the black preacher nor the black teacher leads as he did two decades ago. Into their places are pushing the farmers and gardeners, the well-paid porters and artisans, the businessmen, all those with property and money. And with all this change, so curiously parallel to that of the other world, goes to the same inevitable change in ideals. The South laments today the slow, steady disappearance of a certain type of Negro, the faithful, courteous slave of other days, with his incorruptible honesty and dignified humility. That Negro is passing away just as surely as the old type of Southern gentleman is passing, and from not dissimilar causes. The sudden transformation of a fair, far-off ideal of freedom into the hard reality of breadwinning and the consequent deification of bread. In the black world, the preacher and teacher embodied once the ideals of this people, the striving for another and a juster world, the vague dream of righteousness, the mystery of knowing. But today the danger is that those ideals, with their simple beauty and weird inspiration, will suddenly sink to a question of cash and the lust for gold. Here stands this black young Atalanta, girding herself for the race that must be run. And if her eyes be still toward the hills and sky as in the days of old, then we may look for noble running. But what if some ruthless or wily or even thoughtless Hippomenes lay golden apples before her? What if the Negro people be wooed from a striving for righteousness, from a love of knowing, to regard dollars as the be-all and the end-all of life? What if to the mammonism of America be added the rising mammonism of the reborn South, and the mammonism of this South be reinforced by the budding mammonism of its half-awakened black millions? Whither, then, is the new world quest for goodness and beauty and truth gone glimmering?
must this and that fair flower of freedom which, despite the jeers of later days' triplings, sprung from our father's blood, must that too degenerate into a dusty quest of gold, into the lawless lust of Hippomenes. There is much in this passage that is prescient, but there is also much that is surprising and not necessarily in a good way. Writing in 1903, Du Bois laments the displacement from leadership of the preacher and the teacher in black society by, quote, the farmers and gardeners, the well-paid porters and artisans, the businessmen, all those with property and money, end quote. Would that have been true, we might respond today. Black farmers and artisans and businessmen with property and money would have been a good thing then and would be a good thing now if only they existed in significant numbers. To regret their existence, even their imaginary existence, seems perverse. Yet Du Bois was a scholar, not simply an essayist, and knew then what we've forgotten now. Take the well-paid porters he refers to when the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters began their organizing efforts in 1925, the goal wasn't higher pay. Pullman porters were actually paid quite well. The goal, rather, was greater dignity and greater agency. The black community itself had first to be convinced that there is more to life than higher wages before the union could begin negotiating with the Pullman Company. That struggle took place nearly a hundred years ago, 25 years after the publication of The Souls of Black Folk. Let's look at this passage in the light of today. Atlanta must not lead the South to dream of material prosperity as the touchstone of all success, Du Bois wrote. The habit is forming of interpreting the world in dollars. Certainly we see this in our society today. The only debate now is not whether we interpret the world in dollars, but whether this is a bad thing. It is what we hear in discussions of the purpose of education. Isn't education to prepare students for better paying jobs? And if education isn't doing so, isn't that evidence enough of its failure? And why should taxpayers help pay for the education of students who will themselves reap the benefits of higher earnings? What is the dollar value of truth, after all, or of goodness, or, for crying out loud, of beauty? This is the prevailing attitude today in all of America, including white America. But what happens, Du Bois asks, when this attitude becomes the attitude of black America as well. Quote, what if the Negro people be wooed from a striving for righteousness, from a love of knowing, to regard dollars as the be-all and end-all of existence? End quote. Well, that horse left the barn a long time ago. But at the same time, Legitimate avenues to the acquisition of dollars for much of the 20th century were closed to blacks. 
but the sellers of drugs made money, and who was to criticize them for it? It's the American dream, after all. Now, grudgingly, America has opened other avenues as well. Athletes and entertainers, whether white or black, earn a lot of money, and that money itself seems most often to be the goal. When I was little, there was nothing worse than having to wear braces. Now wearing braces is as cool as cool can be, or at least was ten years ago, as long as those braces are made of gold and studded with diamonds. And so black youth today can dream of wealth, but such wealth as that will always be for the few. There must be other goals in life for most of us, and in truth for most of us there are. I know few people whose lives are striving after gold. Most strive to have meaningful work and loving relationships. Money matters, of course, as it's hard to achieve these greater things when you're hungry and cold and sick and unable to provide even for yourselves, much less children. Opportunities for well-paying jobs need to be available to all, and for too many today they aren't. But well-paying jobs must be recognized as the basis for lives that have more purpose and more fulfillment than entertainment and gold braces and vicarious achievement. A society devoted to more than American society is today will take leadership. Du Bois hoped that such leadership would come from black America, and perhaps for the last 50 years or so it has more than from any other segment of our society. But such leadership, from whatever segment of society, can only come from a world of higher values than money, and it should be the work of all to strive for that. Until next time, I'm Dr. J.